Who's excited to hear from Josh and Melinda? So, um, I, uh, for, for those who don't know, our church has supported them this year through our momentum offering, um, helping them to continue the work that they do, uh, placing, well, finding uh, the family um, to help kids reconnect with their family, but give them an education as well, and getting rid of an issue that has plagued that nation. And so really excited as part of our Strong Hearts series um, that we get to hear from them um, about how they've risen up to see this challenge. Can you imagine going to a country that is known as the murder capital and, and, and seeing all these kids having all of these issues and going, hey, I think we can do something about this. And then going through setting all of that up, I think it requires some pretty strong hearts. And so I'm really excited to hear from them uh, next week. And, um, but this week we do get to continue our strong hearts. My little clicker, it works. It actually has a little laser as well. Can you see it? No, it doesn't work on a TV. There we go. No. <laughs> um, and um, so we are continuing our Strong Hearts series. Actually, I forgot one other quick announcement. As part of our uh, momentum as well, we got a coffee machine. And that should get a cheer. And, um, and a part of it is that we want to be able to host people in this space and we just want to give them excellent hospitality. It's not um, uh, Belmont, Vic Park if um, there's no coffee. And so, um, so if you would like to be part of that team, we've got some training starting today and next week. We'll just run through the machine and you can help us out. You can talk to either Beck or myself and we'll get that going. But today we're going to talk about strong hearts, that Beck. Or you can talk to any Beck. How many becks are there now? We've got three becks still, as far as I know. Uh, but we are going through a series on strong hearts, and, um, and what, uh, what this series is all about is that out of our hearts, that's where everything comes from. Our perspectives, our attitudes, our principles, our decisions. And so where we go depends on whether we've got strong hearts or we have weak, hard hearts. And so this series is about dealing with uh, the stuff that makes our hearts hard. And today uh, we are going to look at a passage in John 3, 1 to 15. I'm going to read this reasonably quickly because of time, but this is what it says. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. I should have been doing that, Zach, but thank you. Um, this man came to, let me read from here. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one can ascend, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him can have, may have eternal 
life. Let's just pray. Dear Jesus, we just pray that your words are what resounds in our heart and in our spirit. We pray for open hearts, open eyes to see you this morning and what it is that you want to do. Um, has anyone ever been in a hostage situation before? No. I am regularly in one with my son. And so, if you know anything about kids, one of the greatest ways to play with them is that you take something that they want, let's say it's this little control, and you said, you can have this if daddy gets a kiss or daddy gets a hug. How many parents have played the hostage game before? You, know, you take one of their favorite little animals and you hold them, you hide them somewhere, and they're like, I want that. And it's like, yes, hug first. Um, or he wants a TV. He wants to, I want to watch a TV show. Yep, you have to say, I love you, dad, first. And then he will say, I love you, dad. Now, a kid um, doesn't bargain with the parent when they're playing that game. You know, Sam is very quick to like, if I say, you do this and then dad will give you this, they, they, they do it straight away. I think it's when they get a little bit older that they start to realize that that isn't, um, that isn't very safe. Because if I do what dad wants, dad could easily still hold a thing that I want and say, and also this. And it's probably because when he's older, I'll start to say, well, you want TV? You have to vacuum the floors. And, and then there'll be this whole, there'll be a much bigger consequence than just saying, Dad, I love you. But they, we do this little thing um, when we get older, where, where instead of just simply saying, okay, if I need to do this in order to get that, I will do it. We start to bargain, don't we? We, we start to do this weird little dance and exchange where it's more like, uh, uh, no, no, you need to let me hold a thing and, and and then we are both holding the thing and we say, let go at the same time. You've seen those movies and you've seen those TV shows and you're all like on edge and who's going to let go first? And we do that in hostage situations. We know that it is hard to trust what the other person's going to do next. And so we hold on. We think that we need to hold on to things that the other person needs in order to get what we want. And we do this little dance. I want you to hold that in mind as we work through through this particular passage. This is one of two passages in the Bible that uses the phrase born again. There's this and then it appears once again in uh, 1 Peter. However, in the Christian world, the phrase born again is like massive, probably more so in America than in here. But in America, you uh, define yourself by the phrase born again, don't you? It's like, I'm a born again Christian. And it's like, what does that mean? Well, it means that I'm better than all those other Christians who were never born before. And it's like, kind of like, what do you mean by that? So that's what I want to talk about today, because I think this is really, really important. But let's take this slow. And John chapter 3 starts with this introduction. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and he was part of the ruling Pharisees. He was called a ruler of the Israelites. He was um, a really big top dog. And so likely Nicodemus was probably a bit older, but he probably, as a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, he probably had memorized what we call the Old Testament from back to front. He knew every single one of those scriptures that were of any consequence. I don't know whether he would have memorized the book of Numbers because I think that would have been pretty, oh, 
but that he would have known a lot of it. He would have read it back and forth. He would probably have lived a super moral life. He would probably have been really maybe what we might call conservative. He would probably have listened to all those laws, and he would teach people those laws. In fact, one uh, commentator uh, looks at verse 10, which you can just quickly jump to, and um, uh, and Jesus actually says to him, Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? The teacher of Israel. And so uh, one commentator says that the teacher of Israel might not just have been a teacher of Israel. He was the teacher of Israel. Okay, so this guy knew what he was talking about. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he comes with this really humble tone. He says, Rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. And so this is the teacher of Israel coming to Jesus and saying, Rabbi, really respectfully, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So it sounds like he's all like, yeah, I recognize that maybe you're ahead of me. And Jesus, right? Sometimes we think that Jesus is meek and mild. Sometimes we need to understand that Jesus belongs to the debate club. <laughs> Jesus doesn't take things easy. This guy is kind of like, Rabbi, I know that you are from the Lord because no one can do what you do. And Jesus is like, truly, truly, I say to you, no man can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What's going on here? Why has Jesus responded so heavily and strongly? Now, a really interesting note that I looked at is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Matthew in particular, talks a lot about the kingdom of God. But when we come to John, John rarely talks about the kingdom of God. He more talks about Jesus as God, and that was the focus of John's gospel, but it appears only a couple of times in the whole of John, the, the phrase, the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he brings up the kingdom of God, mind you, Nicodemus did not bring up the kingdom of God, Jesus did. He was talking about something very specific. And so we need to understand that when, um, Nicodemus, when Jesus says the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, as the teacher of Israel, as a Pharisee, as a ruler of the people, actually understood that in a very specific way. The way that Nicodemus would have understood it is that Jesus was talking about the great hope of Israel. He was talking about at the end of time that there would be this resurrection and that the fullness of God's kingdom would come and the Jewish people would therefore be fully restored the way that God had intended. So when Jesus was saying, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again, he's actually saying to this dude, I know what your great hope is and you will never see it. It's a hostage situation here, people. Like, I know what you want. And this is what you're going to need to do in order to get it. Okay? Hold on in mind. So Jesus has gone on the offensive very quickly. I know what you want. You're not getting it unless you do this. This is what is taking place here. This is a really tense in my mind. Or maybe sometimes like, I, I like to read a drama into the story a little bit. And I feel like this is really dramatic. Nicodemus has come all humble and Jesus said, Ha! I know. I know why you're here. Uh, you need to get born again. So, Nicodemus' answer then is like, what? 
Like, I can't get born again. Like, how can I go back into my mom's womb? And it kind of, maybe in our mind, makes him look a little bit stupid because it's like, of course, Jesus wasn't talking about going back into your mom's womb. But that is just kind of how uh, the Jewish people would talk. They would use a lot of analogy. And so he was like, I see your analogy and I raise you another analogy. And that's kind of what's going on. It's a debate club. This is, this, is, this is a hostage situation. It's a lot of fun. And so Jesus explains. Now, so let me just set this up. For us, as much as we don't have that Jewish concept of the kingdom of God, another way that we can talk about this and what Jesus is talking about is, in, if you read the whole Bible, the kingdom of God is the promise of eternal life. Jesus is saying, you want life, this is what you're going to have to do. So this is why this matters to us. And so Jesus continues to explain what it means to um, be born again. And so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when Jesus says truly, truly, it means that this is set in stone. This is really important for us. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he kind of talks about that a bit more about the Spirit and all that. And for many years, when I look at that, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And many uh, places might actually teach that Jesus was saying you need to be baptized in water and you need to be baptized in the Spirit. That's probably not what Jesus meant. And that is like, whoa, that's not what it meant? It's like, that's kind of what it means to us. And the reason for that is that theologians look at that and go, at this point in time, during this particular interaction, water baptism wasn't a thing. And spirit baptism wasn't a thing because Jesus hadn't died and rose again. So for him to say, uh, to say you need to do these things that were not things at that point was extremely unfair to Nicodemus. So likely, likely when Jesus says you need to be born of water and the spirit, he wasn't talking about being baptized in water and he wasn't talking about being filled with the spirit. He was talking about something else. Now, remember that Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel, having read all the Old Testament many times through, or for him, not, not the Old Testament, the Jewish Scripture. That's what he would have called it. This is the Scripture. And so when Jesus uses phrases uh, like that, it would have meant something to him. And so this particular theologian that I was reading, he said, well, there's actually a pretty awesome passage that speaks specifically about water and spirit. And it is actually a passage that we have looked at at the start of this series, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. This is what God was promising Israel, Israel that was um, frankly pretty lame, uh, who had turned their backs to God, who had left God behind, who had disobeyed God, who had really been unfaithful to God. And this is God saying about the restoration process, and he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, I will put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Nicodemus would probably, likely have had this promise, which is a really big promise, come back to mind when Jesus said water and spirit. For him, it's like water and spirit, Ezekiel 36. 
See, Jesus wasn't talking about going through the motions of certain things that you need to do in order to come to him. He was talking about, if you will, a more internal thing that was taking place. He was saying to Nicodemus, you've come to me with your morality. You've come to me with your perfect life. You've come to me having achieved everything that there is to achieve in Israel. And yet you know that you're still lacking something. And so you've come to me knowing that I'm the only one that can actually cleanse you. And I'm the only one that can actually give you the life that you are craving. You need to be washed by Jesus and you need to receive his spirit into your life, which gives you access into the kingdom. And I want you to consider this. Sometimes when we talk about uh, certain things about coming to God and all of that kind of stuff, sometimes we talk about our hurts and our pains and the way that maybe our past has, has really wrecked us. But you know what? The people in the Bible that turn away from Jesus are not the ones who are broken. It's the ones who are rich. It's the ones who have got achievements and things that they get to, to say and boast and look at this. In fact, when I was reading this passage and preparing for this week, the thing that came to my mind is that there was another ruler that came to Jesus. In Matthew and Luke, we read about a rich ruler. In Matthew, it says that he's young. In Luke, it just says that he's a rich ruler. Um, and it might have been Nicodemus. My little inkling is that, do you want to find fun facts tonight? So fun facts tonight, John was written way after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was actually written way, way, way after. And so uh, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke were written quite early on. They were like maybe 30 years after Jesus had ascended. They started to collate and put these uh, uh, Gospels together already. John was like another 30, 40, 50 years after that. So I think Nicodemus could have been alive when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were being written, and they were like, hey, there's a pretty high up person, and we could get him in trouble if we write his name down here. And so they just called him Rich Ruler rather than Nicodemus. I don't know. <laughs> you like a conspiracy theory? That's my conspiracy theory. So I reckon it could have been the same person, but it was definitely the same situation. What was going on in Matthew and Luke with the rich ruler? He comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, what must I do to get eternal life? Doesn't it sound like Nicodemus? Nicodemus didn't ask the question, but he was definitely needing that because Jesus answered him directly to the question that didn't come out of his mouth, but was in his heart. How do I get eternal life? And Jesus says to this rich young ruler, you give up everything in order to follow me. You've already obeyed all the rules. You've already done all of those things, but you know that you are still lacking. And in Matthew and in Luke, that rich young ruler turns and walks away and Jesus says, how hard is this for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God? Impossible it is because people that have got their lives together do not see the need for the water and the spirit. They want to keep everything that they've built up. They want to keep all that they have established. They don't want to let that go in order to enter into God's kingdom. See, the problem with our culture is that we get to build our lives. We get to choose all of those things. We get to choose how we get established. We get to choose what we do. And yet there is something severely lacking in our society. This week, Beck and I, we were in a high school uh, running a workshop on stress, and, and, I, and I was just chatting to these group of boys, and, and there's these group of boys, one of them said, oh, you, you know, um, I, don't, I, I think I just want to live till I'm 40. 
The young people in there are like, yeah, so. The rest of us are like, flip, man, that's pretty, like, I mean, they're nearly there, I've already crossed the line. And I was like, why? Is it, well, I feel like, you know, I just kind of have my fun and then just go. Another one said, oh, maybe I'll push it to 60, because after 60, my body's just going to like, be like, oh, decayed, and I don't want to do that. And I'm like, that's how our young people think about life. As long as I can do the things I like, some. And my response to that is like, do you know how old I am? And I just want you to know that they said 24. <laughs> All right, I just want you to know that they said I'm 24. And they were surprised, gobsmacked, jaw to the ground when I told them my age. But I told them I'm nearly 40 and there's still more life ahead of me. Do we understand that God has put eternity into our hearts? That we have got a compass that God has inbuilt into us to know where we are meant to be going. And can I just say to you, you can search the whole world and you will not find anything that satisfies except the eternal life that Jesus gives to us. But you're either like the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus saying, I know I'm missing something. And Jesus says, let go of your treasures and let me be your treasure. What's your response to that? Jesus says, divisively, may I add, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And then he repeats a little bit later, you must be born again. See, the concept of being born again is, like I said, not going through rituals, but it's actually the concept of allowing God to wash you completely clean, which means that we actually understand that I'm not that great. It actually does mean that I see myself as a sinner before God with things that are not right. And do you know that God doesn't need you to prop yourself up and go like, oh, I'm all good. In fact, when you look at Nicodemus' first um, uh, response to Jesus, what he was trying to say is this. I've actually discovered some things about you. I've actually pieced it together and I figured out that you must be from God. He sounded all humble, but he was like, humble brag, I figured it out. Many of us come to God, and God says, I've got grace enough for you. And we're all like, I figured you out, God. I know how you work, or at least I know how you should work. And Jesus is saying, no, you either give me everything or you get nothing. And we end up with this tug of war where it's like, I want eternal life added on to my life. So give me, if I can't have all of it, just a taste. Because I still want this stuff. And we get into this bargain situation with God. What is that that's in your hand that you're unwilling to let go of? Because being born again is not so much what you need to do, but it's more about what you're letting go is letting go of your empires, letting go of what you've built up, letting go of your ego, letting go of your finances, letting go of your relationships, letting go of everything. Jesus says, you leave them all behind when you follow me. You take up your cross daily when you follow me. But in return, you have life and you will have it to the full. 
in return, you will find that there are things that I have for you that you could only imagine of. Now to him who is able to give immeasurably more than I could ever hope or imagine, that is the gospel. You didn't come here today to come into some kind of compromise with Jesus. You come here today because you know that God has life and life eternally. So let go of your pains and let go of your fortunes. Let go of your brokenness and let go of your crowns. Let go of it all when you come to Jesus because he says, I will sprinkle you clean with water and I will give you a new heart. One that is able to actually understand, perceive and enter into the kingdom of God. And so as we continue this, what we need to then ask ourselves is how? How do I do that? What does that actually look like? Well, Jesus does answer it because... um, Jesus, uh, or Nicodemus, is still struggling with it. And so Jesus gives this little analogy. He says, I come from God, and I'm giving you all of this stuff. And he says, uh, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So this whole, like, being born again is linked to being, to believing. Make sense? We want eternal life. Jesus is saying, whoever believes will have eternal life. Born again, kingdom of God, believe eternal life. Same kind of concept. Being born again is to believe in God. But what was Jesus saying when he says that you must believe in the Son of God, the Son of Man? He gives up this really weird analogy. that As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What was that all about? Well, then you will have to go once again into the Old Testament. And as the Israelites were making their way through the wilderness, they got to this point. Now, we talked about this last week, and we talked about how in the journey in the wilderness, the Israelites complained and grumbled many times. The first few times, God just gave them what they needed. But at this point in particular, in this story, they once again complain of just being like hungry and like, why can't you give us more stuff, God? And um, so God actually sends a whole bunch of, the Bible tells us, fiery serpents. Like, as though serpents weren't bad enough, it was like, let's put some fire on them as well. So it's like fiery serpents. Like, you said the Bible is boring? Have you read it properly? Have you even seen a fire snake before? I haven't. That's pretty cool. So these fiery serpents are going around, biting people, and people are dying left, right, and center. And then the Israelites finally, because they actually had the consequences of the actions lived out in front of them, they're like, oh my gosh, like God is the God of fiery serpents. God is the God of manna, and God is the God of fiery serpents. It is the same God that brings both of them. If we are out of line, we need to understand that the punishment uh, the discipline that comes from those situations is also from the same God, a God who loves us and wants us to grow up. And so they grew up real quick. <laughs> they grew up real quick. They went, okay, God, we stuffed up. And so what did God tell Moses to do? God said to Moses, get yourself some bronze and make yourself an image of the snakes that were biting people and put it on a pole and whoever looks at it will be healed. Let's leave that alone, shall we? <laughs> well, the whole concept is this. You see, when we come to Jesus, it's like coming face to face with a fiery serpent. We actually realize how inadequate we are. We actually realize how small we are. We actually realize how lame we are. So Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, 
had heard Jesus teaching and doing all these signs, he was like one of the top guys. And he was like, coming face to face with that Jesus made him feel a little bit small. Made him feel like maybe he was missing the point somewhere along the line. Made him feel like maybe there is something in this Jesus stuff that I need. And if you are here today and you are feeling a little bit small, a little bit convicted, a little bit unsure about what's the next step, you are in good company. Because when you come in face to face with Jesus, you come face to face with His glory. It's not just roses and lovely stuff. It is also coming face to face with me. There is one author that said this. I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. He says that when we encounter Jesus, we are either offended at ourselves or we are offended at Him. Yeah. See, when we come face to face with Jesus, we either go, Jesus, you are so mean that you will demand that from me, or you'll look at yourself and go, I am offended at this, and I need to let this go. The fiery serpent gets into us and reveals to us how small we are. But then just like what happened in the wilderness, Jesus was raised onto a pole, a cross. And what does it say? That whoever makes the cross, whoever makes the pole, whoever touches the pole would be saved. No, it says whoever looks. Whoever looks at the pole will be healed. And Jesus is saying the same thing. Whoever looks and so I appeal to you this morning, church, what are you looking at for your salvation? What, what have you got your eyes on? It's not even all of the other stuff. It's just simply to be born again is to actually realize I'm looking in the wrong place. I'm looking at the wrong things. Oh, if only I have this, then I'll be there. If only I get this, and then I'll be better. If only I've got that, and then I'll be up here. Nicodemus had done it all in the Jewish mindset, and he still needed to come to Jesus and say, I need what you've got. Yeah. See, what we look at determines so much of who we are. And in finishing this morning, I want to read you the story. If I can just get the band up as well. It's a story from another preacher, but I just felt like I don't have a better story than this. It's a really good one. So this preacher said, one woman once told me she had five identities in her life. Not multiple personalities. But she said, I have five identities in my life. And she said, when I was a young girl, I grew up in a very conservative church. And I felt good about myself because I was a good person. I'm very moral. I'm one of the good people. But she said, it turned me into something of a self-righteous Pharisee, and it also put a lot of pressure on me. And finally, I broke, and I left the church. Then she started dating. She started getting into romantic relationships, and very often were very heady. And she went on and she said, at first she felt good about herself because she was so moral. Now, she said, I feel pretty good about myself because somebody loves me. But of course, that turned into something bad because she found herself sticking in relationships that sometimes were bad or even abusive too long because she felt like I'm nobody unless someone loves me. And some of her girlfriends said, you need to be liberated, dear. You cannot build your identity on morality, and you cannot build your identity on men. You need to get yourself a career. 
You need to be proud of the fact that you're an independent career woman. And so she did. She got an education, she went into a career, and then she realized, she said, I got just as destroyed when my career had a bump as when I broke up with a guy. You know, my heart was still not really safe at this point. You know, now I felt good about myself because I was successful, because I was a successful career woman. And somebody came along and said, oh, you know, honey, this is what you really need. You're working too hard. You need to care for other people. You need to start to help people. And so she got involved in all sorts of good deeds. She started to volunteer and she got involved with working with women in prison and working with the poor and doing all this stuff. And then she said, I was exhausted. Until finally she said, and these were her words to this preacher, first I thought I was somebody because I was moral. Then I thought I was somebody because I was beautiful. Then I thought I was somebody because I was successful. Then I thought I was somebody because I was helpful. And then she heard the gospel message and she realized, I've been trying to save myself. These identities don't work. And she gave herself to Christ and she said, God loves me because of what Jesus has done, not what I've done. And every other identity she had tried had been based on her own performance and all the ups and downs and the whiplashes she was experiencing during all those efforts at a different identity and finally she could rest. And this is the point that the preacher makes. Becoming a Christian is not just self-renunciation. It is not self-realization. It's not another way to get self-esteem, but it's self-transformation. You lose yourself to find yourself. You don't, lose your, uh, you, you don't lose yourself and you don't find yourself. You lose yourself in service to Christ. You get your identity in Christ. And then you realize you've be you become who you are, who you really are and who you were really made to be. I identify with so many of those identities that this woman went through. I, I identify with it. I identify with trying to be a moral person, black and white, and what is right and what is wrong, and telling people to their face. I remember being a person that just desperately wanted someone to say, I love you, and would hang my whole esteem based on the fact that someone else would willingly choose to say that. But as quickly as someone can says that, say that, they can also say, I hate you. And where am I after that? I threw myself into working hard and getting successes, and then when the successes stop, who am I? I try to be someone that other people like, but sometimes I still get rejected, even though I've been as helpful as I can be. And in the midst of all of that, what is Jesus saying? Maybe we're coming to Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, I've already worked myself up to this place. I've already done all of those things. Just show me the last step. And Jesus says, it's not a last step. You need to undo all of those things because none of those actually matter. What really matters is that you are born again, that you believe that you allow Jesus to cleanse you and to wash you clean and to place in you a heart of flesh and to remove your heart of stone and to place the Spirit, His Spirit in you, the very presence of God in you to help you, to guide you in the way to life. And so this morning, that's where we are. I've explained a story that's pretty famous and maybe many of you know it. But here's the moment for you to reflect on. Have I actually come to Jesus?
Or have I just brought one of my identities? Today I'm the ruler of the world and I'm really so good. Today I'm a moral Pharisee. Look at me and you come into church pretending that you've all got it together. What identity have you brought today? Or are you bringing all of yourself? This is where I've been. This is what I've done. This is what I've accomplished. This is what I've failed at. It all doesn't matter. Why? Because Jesus already chose to die on the cross for you. He didn't wait for you to become moral. He didn't wait for you to become better. He didn't wait for you to get more broken before you would need Him. He's just waiting for you. He said, unless you are born again, you must be born again. You must be born again. And so I want to give you an opportunity today, church. Maybe you've already been through that process before, but maybe you've turned your gaze away from Jesus. Or maybe you've never really fully looked Jesus in the eye. Maybe you're still playing hostages with Jesus. Maybe Jesus to you is holding the thing that you need, but you're holding back the thing that you want. Can I just encourage you to make the exchange this morning? Allow Him to cleanse, allow Him to speak, allow Him to fill. And in that moment, I believe that you get life and life eternally. Life and life to the full. So with every eye closed, with every head bowed, I'm going to lead us in a prayer because I believe that there needs to be a commitment made this morning. I believe that there needs to be a spoken word given to help you take this journey. Can I just, I forgot one thing. Nicodemus walked away from this exchange. We don't know what he did from there. A few chapters later, we find Nicodemus again. And this time around, he's still with the Pharisees, but he's defending Jesus. And then at the end of the book of John, what do we find Nicodemus doing? He goes with Joseph of Arimathea and openly, brazenly this time round, he buries Jesus' body. He makes it known that he is a follower of Jesus. Today is not about you getting your life right. It might be starting you on a process where a few chapters later in your life, you might be willing to defend Jesus to your mates, maybe subtly. But at some point, you will find that the more that you allow Jesus into your life, the more he is the center focus, the center point, the one priority. You don't care what other people will think about you. You don't care about what happens to you. What you care about is that you are loving Jesus and that you have received his love. If that's where you want to get to, say this prayer with me this morning. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. Wash me clean and make me whole. I want to be born again. I want you to cleanse me with water. Remove my heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. Put your spirit within me and teach me to live. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you've said that prayer and there's something in you, why don't you talk to Beck or myself or one of the team around here? I think that God is doing something significant in our church. I believe that God is wanting to do something new. And I believe that there's new life that's about to break out in people's lives. But it's not going to happen if you're playing hostages with Jesus. Rather, let's see that what He wants to give you is open-handed. 
but it's predicated on whether you are willing to submit and to repent and believe that what He has is the best for you. Why don't we just stand this morning? I'm going to pray. I'm going to close. If you want prayer for anything, if God's speaking to you and you want prayer, you want to come up, you want to have a chat, please do so. If not, head into the foyer um, and have some morning tea. Dear Jesus, you are so good. Before we do anything else, God, I pray that you help us to see you are so good. Even as you are convicting us, even as you are speaking into our hearts, you are so good. Even in the midst of the discomfort that we feel inside of our soul, you are so good. And I pray that that will be known to every single one of us this week. I pray that we will not be able to turn away, go anywhere else without remembering that God, you've asked for all of our lives and in return you give us all of your life life to the full. I pray, God, that this will capture our hearts, capture our attentions. It won't let us go. We won't be able to live without you, Jesus. We worship you and we adore you in this place, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much, church. Like I said, if you want prayer, come forward. Head into the foyer for some morning tea after. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.